The first doses of the COVID vaccine were administered in the U.S. today. The Elfcast reunited for a table read, and it's giving us some much-needed joy. And we're joined by Vulture's E. Alex Jung to discuss the HBO Max hit, Veneno. The date, December 14th, 2020. The time, news o'clock. Hey friends, I'm Casey Rackham. And I'm Zach Stafford. Welcome to BuzzFeed's News O'Clock. Zach, you know what the internet is still talking about, and I'm upset that we're still talking about it because it's so dumb. I have so many things going through my head that that could be, but just tell me. (laughs) That's that's very accurate. (laughs) We have to talk about Dr. Jill Biden. (gasps) Yes, this mess of a mess that I didn't know was going to be a mess until I looked at far-right Twitter and was really confused at what was happening. So there was this opinion piece in the Wall Street Journal that was basically, um, it was condescending. It was inaccurate. Um, But it was basically saying that, you know, to sum it all up, that Jill Biden's not a real doctor. I just, this conversation just never ends. People have this idea that only medical doctors are real doctors when that's just not true. You have juris doctorates, which are lawyers. You have PhDs, which is what Dr. Jill Biden is. And then you have MDs. There's so many types of doctors because it just means you're the best of what you study. That's it. That's all you got. Yeah, I'm seeing like a lot of like comments that are like, she can call herself doctor if she wants to. And I'm like, no, that's that's still an inaccurate way to put it. Literally. She is a doctor. And then today there was an Atlantic article defending her and her doctoral status. And it said she's flaunting it still. I just don't get it. If she wasn't a woman, we wouldn't be having this conversation. So I just know this is steeped in misogyny and I'm over it. I'm tired. Yep. Yep. <laughs> We're over it. We're done. Bye. We're moving on. Zach, what top stories do you have for us? A perfect transition, Casey. Perfect. Because <laughs> <laughs> it does relate to doctors. <laughs> All right. So the first dose of COVID vaccine were administered today in the United States. Sandra Lindsay, a critical care nurse in Queens, was one of the first frontline healthcare workers to get it. Here's what she told reporters about getting the vaccine. I hope this marks the beginning to the end of a very painful time in our history. I want to instill public confidence that the vaccine is safe. We're in a pandemic, and so we all need to do our parts. Um, to put an end to the pandemic and to um, not give up so soon. There's light at the end of the tunnel, but we still need to continue to wear our masks, to social distance. I believe in science. As a nurse, my practice is guided by science, and so I trust science. This follows the recommendations from the CDC that the very first group to receive the vaccine should be frontline healthcare workers, followed by essential workers and adults with heightened risk. Meanwhile, all 538 members of the Electoral College will cast their votes for president today. They are expected to formally confirm Joe Biden as president and Kamala Harris as vice president. This comes as the Supreme Court rejected a last-ditch lawsuit from Texas on Friday, and the president's supporters rallied in Washington, D.C. over the weekend. That D.C. rally turned violent when Proud Boy members burned Black Lives Matter flags from two Black churches. The Metro Police are investigating those burnings as hate crimes and vandalism. Hmm, investigating. We'll see how far that investigation goes. It, I don't know if you've seen the clips, but watching uh, a lot of these Proud Boys were in we will call them kilts, but they were not kilts. They were like weird camo stuff. They were skirts. And I just don't get the type of like weird, complicated masculinities that these proud boys are going through where they have to like, <laughs> they like want to wear a skirt, but they're going to call it a kilt, but they're not Scottish. <laughs> so they make it camouflage. And then we're going to burn Black Lives Matter flags in D.C. And it just is so redundant and reductive and annoying. And I'm over those white supremacists. They're terrible. Awful. Yep. Over them. 
Yeah. And so we have to talk about the vaccine, which, you know, we saw on TV live and it was administered by a black woman to a black woman. And it was just I mean, it's something special to see. You know, it, this is this is the light at the end of the tunnel. It's so it's it's major. It's a huge moment. People should have hope now. And also the one of the doctors that helped lead one of the vaccines, the Moderna vaccine specifically, Dr. Kazmakia Corbett is a black woman and she's only 34. No, I'm going to need you to retract that. I don't need to hear that She's age 34. right now. <laughs> the thing that also happened this weekend that is a similar age range is that it was the seven-year anniversary of Beyonce's self-titled, which she released around 32, 33 years of age. So Black women in their early 30s are really saving us at every level. That's all I have to say about that. <laughs> all right, Casey. So what do you have for us in the pop culture and entertainment world today? Okay, so this morning, the Library of Congress announced the 25 films that will be added to the National Film Registry this year. The honorees include blockbusters like The Blues Brothers, Shrek, Grease, and The Dark Knight. It also includes 1963's Lilies of the Field. The film starred Sidney Poitier, who became the first Black person to win the Oscar for Best Actor, thanks to his role in the movie. The Joy Luck Club was also honored. It was released in 1993 and was one of the first major Hollywood films to feature a majority Asian-American cast, telling a contemporary story about the Asian-American experience. Um, And I just want to say right off the bat, I did not know that this Library of Congress did this every year. (laughs) This is news to me. And I'm excited to find out that it has a lot of depth, I will say, from Joy Luck Club to Shrek. (laughs) Yeah, I'm so glad you admitted that to not knowing because I too did not know they were doing this. So I've just been kind of playing, faking it all morning. Like, oh yeah, the Library of Congress is bringing in more films. But uh, Shrek, really, that is going in the Library of Congress. That's what the aliens will have access to in the future. Interesting. You know what? There's a lot of cultural impact from Shrek. <laughs> Okay, and moving on, if you're in desperate need of a little holiday spirit, this next story should definitely do the trick. The cast of Elf reunited over the weekend to do a table read. One of the highlights absolutely has to be Will Ferrell and Zoe Deschanel recreating the scene featuring their iconic duet of Baby's Cold Outside. At least I'm gonna say that I tried. my Really can't stay. Ah, but it's cold. So, yes, we all know the song is creepy and it doesn't hold up. But if you have to listen to it, this is the way to go. The table read was put together to raise money for the Democratic Party of Georgia, specifically Senate candidates John Ossoff and Reverend Raphael Warnock, ahead of their January 5th runoff election. Special guests included Busy Phillips and the offices at Helms. Zoe Deschanel really did sing that song, though. It's creepy, but she sounded great in that clip. It's not easy to sound good on a Zoom reading. (laughs) No, it is not. It's actually, have you ever tried to sing happy birthday to someone on a Zoom birthday? Because it doesn't sound good. Casey, I have to tell you a secret. Yeah, I, I've, I've witnessed a lot of Zoom birthdays in our 2,000 years stuck in a pandemic. And when we get to that moment in the Zoom birthday, I mute myself and then begin lip syncing happy birthday for people. Zach, that's so smart. And I'm going to start doing that. That It gives me so much anxiety that I start laughing. It's because I hear myself on delay with other people. It's and a, then it's if you an laugh too disaster. high, it takes you as like the, you become the primary right. Speaker. And then they hear you. So no, oh mute yourself. No one sees your screen. No one notices you're a small box and you're just giving uh, a lip sync for your life. There you go. We're so smart. Thank you. I know a good hustle or a scam when I see one. All right. When we come back, we've got E. Alex Jung talking about the nano. Stay right there.
SheFit, we're tired of hearing new year, new you, fat-burning secrets, and lose weight fast. The only thing you need to lose is self-doubt. The body you're in deserves respect, love, and support. Support you're not getting from your current sports bra. It's time to experience the only sports bra that actually does its job and outperforms the most popular brands on the market. It's time to feel real support from SheFit. Save $10 today at SheFit.com slash 2022. Hello. Hello. Hi. Oh my God, I want to come through the screen and hug you. Hey everybody, Jessica Zor here, also known as Vanessa Abrams on Gossip Girl. I am so excited to share my new podcast with you guys. It's called XOXO, and it's a walk down memory lane all about Gossip Girl. I'll chat with some of the cast, crew, fans of the show, and I'm just so pumped for you guys to go on this journey with me. Hi, I'm Ed Westwick. I played Chuck Bass. I just can't believe that I did that with my life. Jay, we had like the most amazing time. Listen to XOXO on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Hillary Clinton, and I'm excited to be back with a new season of You and Me Both. You know, when we started this podcast, we were going through some tough times, and let's face it, we still are. But I am a firm believer we're stronger together. So please join me for more conversations with people who will make you think, make you laugh, and help us find a path forward. Listen to You and Me Both on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back. The HBO Max show Veneno hit our screens in November, and the season finale is streaming now. We are obsessed with it, but it turns out we're not the only ones. Cristina, la veneno. Sí, llámame Cristina porque mi nombre no es veneno, es un apodo. We are joined by Vulture's E. Alex Jung, who called the show a knockout in his article. Good afternoon, Alex. Hey, Zach. Hi, Casey. How are you? So good. And before we get started, I just want to put a big note on top of this interview that uh, this man's interviews are the best on the internet in the world right now. So whenever you see his byline, click, read, uh, just get into it. That's all I have to say. That's all I have to say. (laughs) (laughs) Co-signed. So this series is based on the life of Cristina Ortiz Rodriguez, known as La Veneno. So what can you tell us about her and the book the show is based on, which is called Listen, Neither Whore Nor Saint, The Memories of La Veneno? I mean, I I don't know a ton um, because she's a Spanish as in from Spain, um, trans icon who became famous in this kind of just like almost serendipitous way, a very annoying, intrepid, obnoxious reporter working for a late night show called We Crossed the Mississippi, went out to try to find a story about trans prostitutes, trans sex workers, and the Johns who solicit them in this park in Madrid. Um, And this was the 90s. And so she went out, found this woman who, you know, delivers just like incredible sound bites, oozes charisma. The audience loves her. And then the show gives her a contract to be a regular on the show as a late night show. 
Um, so that's kind of how she became an icon in Spain. And this was in the 90s. Fast forward about like 10 years later, you know, her life has gone through a lot of tumult. Um, I don't think it's easy being the first like famous trans uh-huh. woman in the public eye. And she went to prison, like a lot of things happened. And another young trans journalist is obsessed with her, obviously, from her childhood. And she finds her, she tracks her down because she's in her hometown. And then she asks to meet her. And then they essentially start writing the book together. And so the show is based on that book. So the show has received praise for directors Javier Calvo and Javier Ambrosi seeking out trans actors for roles on the show. And not only that, but they ensured at least one trans person working in every production department. What impact does this have in an industry often known for cis actors and producers playing trans characters and producing their stories? Yeah, I mean, you know, I guess it's still complicated because they are two cis men, you know, making a story about trans women and a world of trans women. But it does seem like they took that to heart. Valeria, the um, author, was involved in terms of putting, like, helping the actor Lola Rodriguez, like, put the character together. You know, I I think it, it seems like at the very least they took pains to be inclusive in terms of, like, thinking about, like, how is this story really going to be constructed? And I do actually think like, and it's not just stunt casting because um, they have the real Paca La Piranha, um, Paca the Piranha, uh, yep. who was Veneno's best friend in real life, play herself uh, in the role. And, you know, I, I understand how that could feel like maybe stunty, but she's so good in it. <laughs> like So good. You know, she so just good. like, she's so funny and warm and there's just like a lot of like, real warmth to their connection. She's clearly a good actor also. Right. So like, I I think that's the thing. It's like so many people don't have opportunities or get opportunities. This is clearly a a TV show where you just like watch it and you're like, everyone is really incredible in this show. Um, And you just want to see more of that happening in the world in general. Right. Like people who are really good should have opportunities to be really good. And that's just nice to see, you know, (laughs) (laughs) Another show that's received critical acclaim for its portrayal of trans characters was FX's Pose, which shows the New York City ball scene in the 80s and 90s. And we do not want to compare these two shows because they both get to live in their beautiful spaces. So how do they each tackle different issues that members of the trans community face? I don't really want to compare them too much in my head. Yeah. <laughs> uh, only because I do sort of think that like Pose... They both are, I mean, it's interesting. I think they're both interesting shows in terms of thinking about how they think about fantasy and how they navigate those worlds, like uh, in terms of the toughness of what life, because they're both period pieces, essentially, you know, what life would be like for trans women in a certain period of time, right? Uh, And I I think that at least particularly with the first season of Pose, uh, they sort of leaned more heavily into the show itself being fantasy, Um, I think Veneno is interesting in part because it's always sort of questioning what is fantasy and what is real and what is uh, self-perception or self-mythology and what and and, and also sort of like make the case for why that's important uh, in terms of why we we need to tell stories about ourselves um, in order to actualize ourselves. You know, and I think like both shows are really essentially about that, too. So, like, I, I think they play with that in different ways that I think is interesting to you know, compare and contrast. 
and you wrote actually in your piece, jumping off of that, that Veneno quite remarkably mixes fantasy and reality, self-mythology and delusion without portraying its subject or looking down on her. The stories we tell ourselves about ourselves are perhaps just as crucial as what happened. And we really love that line so much. Why do you think it's so important to, as you say, self-mythologize? I think it's a survival mechanism. I think it's about creating our own narrative. Um, as a way to give ourselves confidence and selfhood in a world that often robs you of it or does not give it to you, right? And I think that that's a really powerful act in general to be doing. But yeah, I think that that's sort of what's interesting about the show is that like, I think that, you know, it's she is not a perfect person, right? She's not like, a heroic saint, right? Like, as, as it said in the, in the title of the book, it's like, neither whore nor saint, right? Like, she is yeah. who she is, and that's sort of a complicated human being, and that is someone wrestling with their own trauma from childhood abuse, from homophobia and transphobia, and all of these things that she's experienced throughout her life, and then how she also maybe perpetuates those traumas in these really complicated ways, right? And I think that, like, that is what is good. It is a narrative that's sort of able to, like, hold that tension and sort of be generous and thoughtful about it without feeling cloying or sentimental or, like, you're just sort of doing hagiography or something like that, you know? Like, I think that that is what I love about Veneno. Yeah, and I, I've been talking about the show since for uh, how many weeks now, Casey's forever. A long time. And I, like for a long time. I'm a huge, huge fan. And I was so excited to see that it made a lot of best of 2020 lists, including Vultures, where you're at. So before you go, I have to ask, you know, this show is such a celebration of trans folks and trans community, but it came out at a time in which we're seeing trans people attacked at the highest rates ever recorded. And we're seeing people like Hawaii Representative Tulsi Gabbard introducing a bill just last week that was trying to make uh, trans women not be able to play sports in girls' leagues. So how do you think we can square these two truths away that we're having the celebratory moment of trans folks on screen, but also like they're still facing a lot of disaster in the world? And how do you think a show like this could help us better stop that disaster, that violence happening? That's interesting. I mean, you know, like in a way that Veneno is interesting because it came out in Spain and it was a hit in Spain. Um, And it actually seems like it has moved the political needle there in certain ways in terms of like even the vice president uh, was tweeting about it. And like telling people to watch it, which uh, I cannot imagine Mike Pence tweeting about. <laughs> Could you imagine? Oh my God, that would be a gag. I, that, I, we were, I would just be like, oh, we're being punked right now, and something yeah. bad is going to he happen. Got hacked. <laughs> I'm obviously, I think that uh, there are trans folks who are going to be better at speaking about the realities that they face day to day. And I sort of like am loath to like put pressure on a show to, yeah. to be, mm-hmm. to be like moving the political needle in that way. I, I want it to be a good show that I feel like shows people as whole people. And I think that that act in and of itself, when done properly can move people. Right. Um, and, and I think that that is what happened in Spain. I don't want to be super mushy about that, but like, I, I do think like, you know, if you, if you tell a complicated story, with radical empathy, then perhaps people can watch that and feel moved by that and consider what policies might be better changed to make life better. Mm -hmm. Well, Alex, thank you so much for joining us today. It was a pleasure. Sure. Thank you so much for having me. That's it for today. Be sure to join us tomorrow. And remember, Shrek is legitimately in the Library of Congress, and I think that's special. 
Be sure to subscribe to News O'Clock on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you go for your sound stories. And please take the time to leave us a rating and a review. It helps us figure out what you like about the show versus what you love about the show. And remember to set your alarm so you never miss an episode of News O'Clock. What event comes once a year and could change how you see the world around you? The answer? When your vision benefits renew. And now that they have, there's no better time to visit your neighborhood Pearl Vision, where they'll cover your out-of-pocket cost or insurance copay for your eye exam. Schedule your family's eye exams at pearlvision.com. Valid prescription required. Valid at participating locations. Restrictions apply. Taxes extra. See store for details. Ends 4-30-2022. Exams available at the Independent Doctors of Optometry at or next to Pearl Vision. Some doctors employed by Pearl Vision. Mama, what does the chicken say? Uh, dog. Cat. Giraffe. Giraffe, really? Giraffe. Uh, giraffe. You're not going to get it all right. Just make sure you nail the big stuff, like making sure your kids are buckled correctly in the right seat for their age and size. Get it right. Visit NHTSA.gov. Slash the right seat. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Hello, hello. Hey, I don't know if you heard, but my podcast, Checking It, has been nominated for the NAACP Image Award in the category of Outstanding Lifestyle and Self-Help Podcast. I'm grateful for the nomination. I, I almost didn't even do a podcast because I was just wondering, there are thousands of podcasts out there and why is my voice needed? But a nomination from the NAACP lets me know that um, I made the right choice. And I encourage you to do, don't worry if there are thousands of something out that you want to do. No, Nobody has your sauce. So listen, you can still vote. Go to vote.naacpimageawards.net. You have until February 5th, um, 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And please listen to my podcast. We're a part of the Black Effect Podcast Network on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you for checking in. 